So hello and welcome to my podcast, Conversations with David. I am your host, David Owasi. And on this podcast, we are talking to accomplished professionals and entrepreneurs across the country. We are learning about what keeps them passionate, what keeps them going. And we're also talking about some of the lessons and insights learned, learned along the way. Now, I'm here with my good friend and someone I have huge respect and admiration for, John Edmonds. And I'm very excited to have him on the show today. Why don't you introduce yourself, John? Well, uh, yeah, no, thanks very much for having me here, David. Uh, yeah, my name is John Evans, uh, founder and CEO of a uh, very fast-growing uh, franchise brand, Everline Coatings and Services. Uh, I'm based out here in Calgary, Alberta, originally from uh, Brockville, Ontario. So go, uh, go Pirates. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, happy to be here. Excellent. Thank you for the introduction there. Um, I want to start out with my very first question, John, on entrepreneurship and why you were interested in entrepreneurship in the first place. What was that each like for you and why were you interested in it? Uh, good question. Uh, I personally think entrepreneurship is something in your DNA. Uh, anybody who is watching this podcast or listening to it, uh, <clears throat> who, who they, they, they know what we're talking about when we say there's the itch. Uh, the, the itch of, uh, you know, not being a cog in the machine, being out there, being able to do uh, what, uh, like, like to work for yourself uh, in that sense. And there's, it's hard to describe it that literally, you know, in the world, we're all trying to, you know, generate wealth and, and uh, you know, have a good work-life balance or whatnot, that these people will work for next to nothing as long as it's working for themselves. And so like, that's how powerful that itch is. So Needless to say, uh, I had, I've had that itch almost my entire life. Uh, so I grew up with a family of entrepreneurs. And so I've always been around it. I've always had a, a vision towards that that was how it was all going to be. And uh, here I am. Excellent. And I think uh, when I really got to know you and know your story was through your career in college, bro. Um, was that like your first real solid business or did you have some other prior uh, businesses before college, bro? I would call College Pro the first real business I've had. You know, I've had uh, uh, little ones like for, you know, when I was uh, 10 or no, like 12 years old, I had uh, a VHS uh, conversion business where I would convert VHS into DVDs back like super early, that sort of thing. So I ran that with my family and things like that, but it was next to nothing, uh, that sort of thing. You no, know, College Pro was very much the real wake-up call as to what it really means to run a business. Right. And wow, VHS, lot of massive throwback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, it was a thing, uh, I think it was what spurred the idea was the new iMac at the time. That was the first time it had a DVD burner in it. And that was a big deal for a computer. And 12-year-old me thought I could turn that into a business, I guess. Absolutely. You've definitely had that itch for a while. And, and I'll ask about College Pro in a second here. And just for our listeners, College Pro, I'm sure if you've been listening to some of our other shows, College Pro is a, a program, a franchise program for uh, university students uh, generally to run their business while taking full-time classes. And uh, it was a very good uh, way to learn how to run a business. And for you, uh, John, what was that first year of business ownership like? And the reason why I asked that is you know, a lot of our listeners are probably in that sort of first, second year of business ownership and they're thinking is this a very strange experience is this supposed to be this difficult and hard like it was for me at least what was that like for yourself in your first year oh boy uh definitely was not a walk in the park uh, i was definitely a wake-up call uh my first year of business i actually uh I ran it into the ground i uh i went in very uh, uh overconfident in my sales ability i went in thinking that i 
knew more than what my coaches could tell me. I was given a system that works and I completely rejected the system and said, I want to do it my way. I'm there, you know, on the varying scale of entrepreneurs, I'd say I'm the, I'm on the maverick scale uh, for sure. So acted out in that in such a way. And uh, yeah, uh, more or less, I think in my first year of business, uh, hired all of my friends. I underbid all of my jobs. Uh, I remember my coach at the time, Leighton Healy, uh, he said to me, you're, you got to dump all these jobs that you have uh, because they're not going to make you any money. And I didn't want to lose on the sales. I, it, the pride was too high there. So I, I kept them and I ended up losing $25,000 in my first year of business. So uh, for a 21-year-old, that's a lot of money. It is indeed. It sounds like your first year was a school of hard knocks in a way. Indeed. indeed. And that's when, you know, that, that's when the fork in the road comes from, right? You know, you're 21 years old, you're now 25 grand in debt. And, uh, you know, I, I maxed out my line of credit that they gave me. Why they gave a, line, a 25 grand line of credit uh, to a 21-year-old uh, is a different <laughs> Just a different story, different world, I guess, when the economy was a bit bit hot back then. Um, <clears throat> but essentially, what it turned into uh, was, um, uh, you know, that decision of, okay, like, is entrepreneurship for me? Am I just bad at it, or am I going to pick myself up again and uh, push myself to be able to make uh, make better decisions and to learn from my failures? And you know, being a big Rocky fan at the time. You know, that was like at the beginning of Rocky one, he, lo he lost the first fight. I was like, I'm going to make this second year Rocky two when he wins mm. my decision in the last second. But but yeah, he wins. Absolutely. Fantastic story, Dan. When I think about my own first year as a business uh, owner as well, a lot tons of mistakes as well. Uh, everything from calling people at weird hours of the day and not knowing that that was not appropriate to uh, losing money on my jobs as well. I think I ended up my year just, just barely break even, like no profit, but almost no debt. So I was very grateful for that. But question for you, John, what would your advice be to someone who is in that, their first year of business based on your experience and what you learned from your first how should they because when you're in your first year you're just kind of thinking very narrowly you just like in that moment but what should they be thinking about in terms of just the overall big picture based on your experience uh i would i would have to say you know probably you know on top of the idea that of going out there and, and having a sales program a marketing program an operations program uh, to not cheap out on financials, uh, uh, to be able to, you know, just make sure that you have somebody looking out for your bank account in some way, shape or form. Now there are bookkeeping companies. I wouldn't go and ask a friend to do it if they're not trained in that. Like there are actual bookkeeping companies and services that, uh, that can do that for you. And I think, you know, if I had somebody, you know, truly tell me like, John, you're 25 grand, you know, going to be in debt by the end of the summer, something's got to change. You know, but before then I had some cash in my bank account. You know, I thought, oh, things are going fine. And then I started paying down bills and it's like, oh, I'm going to the negative now. So yeah, I would have to say financially like understanding that, uh, you know what, if you're spending 300 to $400 a month, uh, whether you can afford it or not, I think you can't afford not to uh, for a bookkeeping program like that. Uh, I would say that's probably if I could go back to my, my early self and shake them. Uh, that's where I would start. Absolutely. And uh, I, I, same thing for myself when I was in that first year, my financials were crap. 
Uh, I had no way of knowing how much I was making, even though you're right. You have a bunch of money in your account and you think, oh, I'm, I'm doing okay. But when the bills start coming in and you have to pay supplies, pay your employees, you realize you're not really making any money. So Correct. it's a false sense of, uh, of, of confidence. Um, but uh, when I was in my second year, I think one of the things I did was I had like a, a tracker where I had like a Google Sheets and I was like tracking every dollar going out and coming in and that helped me maintain things. But mm -hmm. question for you, John, when you think, I think you ran college before, was it two or three? years I think three years three years and you did around uh, six hundred thirty thousand dollars or so in business uh, if, I, if I'm correct what would you say was your learn your takeaway from that first three years of business what was the overall lessons you learned and we'll talk about what you moved into but what was your lessons mm -hmm. um, well I guess what I took with me uh, from college pro uh, it, it would have to be the importance of branding, the importance of the pitch, the importance of internal systems. Uh, you know, I didn't really, I, I wouldn't, if you were to ask me, right, as I was stepping out the door, you know, however many years ago that was, I, I probably couldn't articulate it in such a way. But those are little things that I would have taken at the time that transferred to me over here at Everline. Uh, that uh, is a big reason why it was uh, a quick success uh, for me, uh, my individual location. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, I think that the greatest thing you learn from an experience like that is what it means to just work down to your bones and just bear it all. And this is who you are and you've never been so tired in your life and, uh, you gotta keep going. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that muscle you, uh, you build, uh, stays with you. And when you go off and do another thing, you're going to remember what that's like. It's going to be like muscle memory. Absolutely. And you mentioned three things that I'd like you to kind of expand on. You talked about branding, you talk about the pitch, and I think you, you had a, a last point there. I can't remember that. Uh, can you uh, uh, systems. Internal systems. systems, exactly. Yeah. Can you just like uh, unpack what that would mean? Because someone who is new to the whole game might not really understand mm -hmm. how that impacts their business moving forward. Well, to put it in a context, College Pro, when you think about it logically, you know, these, they, they were taking 20, 20 year olds, 18 year olds, 21 year olds, whatever, and putting them, you know, going through three months of training. Uh, and like the training is uh, a weekend each month. So really six days of training practically. And uh, now you're a professional painter. So uh, naturally these kids uh, don't really in any uh, logical world, this is why I think College Pro frankly was a miracle uh, in, in for many different ways, uh, that they really have no place painting a house. Like, like it's not like they really, there's no point, like it, it, there's just too many experience or whatnot, but every year they, people would come into this program, they would book jobs. And it, what it came down to were the simple systems and processes that college pro developed over time. It said, just do this. They had discovered that with the wide variety of variables that it takes uh, to run uh, to run a business like that, this, these are the best practices. And as long as you follow them, you will be successful. And that is very true. Uh, next, you go into the like the branding and uh, like like the branding play, marketing play. College Pro was such a strong brand because of how shameless we got with our, our marketing. You know, it, it became you know just who could come up with the craziest idea on how they uh, how they be able to market their business. And over forty years like different versions of that growing and growing and growing uh, that built a brand right there and a brand of people who don't know what they're doing. Eventually they do after two or three years, 
uh, but not that first year. No one will ever say that they are an expert in that first year, at least in the painting trade, in the managing trade, the interviewing trade, anything like that. And uh, yeah, that's uh, learn like seeing like that was a real key secret uh, piece of it all uh, coming out of College Pro was uh, was pretty critical into learning. Okay, well, what if I applied those same principles uh, in a different company? And uh, that's uh, that's kind of where we went with that. Absolutely. Thanks for that answer there. And when I think about, when I speak to other entrepreneurs like yourself who are you know, very successful, they always talk about the first business they ran to be like almost like a very basic business to really understand how to make stuff work. What would your recommendations be for someone who is thinking of going through entrepreneurship and they have all these grand ideas about this fancy business they want to start, but that is not really going to help you learn the basics. Why is it important to consider a business that will really help you learn how to sales, how to market, how to do the basics before you go into the bigger grand ideas? Mm-hmm. Uh, a great question. I, I don't think there's uh, anyone answer to that. I, I you know, I, I'm you and I are both extremely biased that uh, the trades can be a fairly simple business to run uh, down to like, like, as opposed to anything else, like, you know, starting up a restaurant or like a little mini restaurant or whatnot as your first business, because the margins are so low, that's very risky. Uh, if you go into um, uh, uh, tech, like everybody, their dog I know started an app and you know, 99 out of 100, like it's, it's, it's such a competitive, challenging game. And like, you know, that's their experience in business. So uh, really it's, it's something to start off with something very small or similar. And that's why, I, you know, uh, strongly recommend that if people are looking to get into business for themselves and don't know where to start, that a franchise is actually an excellent way to start off with that. Uh, that, uh, you know, you kind of get your, your feet wet with, you know, what it means to be able to complete work when you said you were going to do, uh, when you said you're going to do it, uh, uh, being able to uh, bring on people into your business so that's not just you, so that you know how to share a vision uh, how to it, and how to implement it through your team instead of all just you and, and pulling people along, but, but pushing them and discovering what your, uh, what your leadership style is and just, and just that alone. Uh, like little things like that as to what it takes, what it takes to run a successful business uh, is, is pretty key. And, and like I said, getting into trades that's relatively simple. I don't think you can get the same experience. I think you can go buy a license for vending machines and stuff like that. that that's not running a business. Mm. Uh, MLMs, that's not running a business. I, I don't care if you're watching it. Yeah, it's not a business. Uh, and then you got uh, 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 or, or running a restaurant. That's risky. But if you're, that's your thing, that's your thing. So, mm. so yeah. Uh, working with your hands yeah yeah. I I think I definitely appreciate your answer there the the trades industry is definitely a nice place to really learn the basics of you know customer service you know Mm -hmm. delivering on on whatever you promise uh, Mm -hmm. hiring people to do a specific job that is very measurable and I think uh, that should be somewhere a place for people who are considering their first year business to consider Mm -hmm. now to make some transition here you are now a franchiser so that big step up what was that that experience like moving from college pro where you was painting to actually starting your own real big business what was that experience like well it 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 wasn't like overnight oh i'm running a big business now uh very very gradual uh you know it started off i guess it was coming from college pro uh you know i i you know i ran a three hundred thousand dollar final year uh in the business 
And then coming into Everline, I was like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to start this line painting company. And because I did 300,000 bucks in College Pro, I can expect a reasonable amount of growth in this full new business. And my first year revenue in Everline was 160,000 bucks. So like what a, like I worked my ass off for that. Mm. Like that, that, that was, that was crazy. And uh, uh, so, but then as, you know, as I, we apply the, the higher level of business fundamentals to a tradition, an industry that is traditionally unsophisticated, you stand out and reputation begins to, it's, it can happen and the ball starts rolling. And the more you stay consistent uh, and, and maintain the set of values of integrity, resourcefulness, uh, you know, uh, nourishing people, uh, all that kind of stuff. It really kind of builds into kind of like a, a far more organic and uh, 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 adaptable organization. So uh, I think, you know, when you go from uh, from a, a franchise system uh, to starting your own thing, that was also a culture shock too. No systems whatsoever, no flyers. But, you know, I, I've kept some of my very first flyers from Everly, they're terrible. Uh, you know, they're, they're uh, no, no sales process whatsoever. Nobody knows who you are. I'm calling major malls and saying, Hey, I'd love to do your lines. They're like, who are you? What have you done? I'm like, Oh, I was talking college pro. And they're like, I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. What's college pro. Right. And a lot of, a lot of college pro guys realize, you know, there is that uh, echo chamber you have in college pro that we're all so great, but the world really doesn't care. You got to go out and act and execute. Like mm-hmm. you got to use those skills. You can't rely on, on the, the cloud of that. Mm-hmm. Anyways. So, it turns into um, a situation where, okay, you have an existing standalone business. Uh, how do you expand? What do you do or whatnot? And, you know, started uh, uh, in looking down the world into the world of franchising uh, when, you know, realized nobody's done this, not even the United States. And, uh, you know, let's uh, take a stab at it. I don't see why not. And I uh, got the chance to be able to share the idea with, some of the top franchising minds in, in North America and got a lot of really great guidance on what to do with that. And I just came down to setting that vision, sharing that vision with not only my team, but in, incoming very early on franchisees that there was no franchise behind them. I'm like, here you go, here is this organization. It's going to be great. And they agreed and they went with it and uh, so thankful for, for that their belief in, in the system. And now that's now that we have that foundation, it's going on from there. So, it's uh, it's changed my, uh, I guess it's working out the muscle of looking out for the brand, looking out for how you know how Everline is not only going to continue growing as a company, but how are these individual franchisees going to have the same success that I, had, the same income that I had, the same uh, you know growth moments that I had, and save them from as many challenging times that I had. And uh, that's the whole point of franchising it is that they don't have to go through it and they get a model that's improving in all, all different corners of, of uh, the Canadian market. Absolutely. Thanks for that. And, and you know, it's uh, been fascinating to watch the, the growth of Everline. I know I was considering at some points to, uh, to, to buy into the franchise. Um, but what kind of people generally are you typically looking for? I guess the most successful franchise owners, what are they like? Uh, I would say it's, it's a, I'm looking for hunters, of course, uh, guys that are, are hu- as hungry as I was uh, when I started off, uh, you know, just uh, killers in terms of going out and just relentlessly uh, setting goals and hitting them, but also at the same time, uh, respecting and understanding the power of people 
uh, and what they offer to your organization. So you know you can go too far. You know if you guys if you're familiar with the disk profile, you know I'm kind of talking about a DI uh, mm. in, in, or an ID kind of thing. So somebody that recognizes, understands people is a thing, but also that you're just you know a headstrong hunter in that sense. Uh, now also alternatively, we've gone after S's the support. Uh, on the disk profile, uh, people that are just eager to build people within their organization and really emphasize servant leadership. People like that, uh, I find, are able to build very loyal uh, uh, and and encourage uh, employments uh, or employees that are there to, to build the vision. So now it's up to the individual franchise owner to be able to create, to establish a vision, share that with the team, and then create action points related to that vision and I found, uh, you know, people that can take grasp of that and do their best to do that. Uh, that's that's the ideal uh, Everline franchise owner. Fascinating. And there'll be information for our listeners if you're interested in exploring franchising. Um, but one of the big highlights, I guess, was last year was you guys were on Dragon's Den, which was not quite a whole big spectacle. What was that experience like being on Dragon's Den, pitching your business to these uh, well-respected uh, investors? I, uh, I have to say, you know, that that was probably one of the most proud moments of my life. I'm more of like the guy when something good happens, like, okay, great, like move on. Uh, Dragon's Den for me was very special to me. It was Dragon's Den, the show that actually uh, really caused me to kind of leap back into the idea of entrepreneurship. Like when I was in university, wasn't sure what I was going to do. Maybe like, I was going to be a teacher or something like that. And then uh, Dragon's Den season two is when I first started uh, watching it. And that was, that was the show that got me into uh, back in, back in the game, I guess. And uh, so to be able to, uh, you know, they have reruns every weekend uh, on TV. And uh, every summer, my uh, wife and I would have breakfast and I'd be just crushing through some Dragon's Den. And uh, just, you know, one day, uh, it just said, listen, I think, you know, uh, the, the Everline franchise, uh, the Everline system, it's working. I have franchises that are making money, that are happy, uh, that are growing, that are on a good trend. And now I want to start selling some more franchises now. And what's a way to do it? And the PR play was, why don't we try out for Dragon's Den? And uh, to go and uh, audition, to, to, to go to the open casting call audition, uh, to, you know, pitch alongside, you know, thousands of the people just in Calgary, and then like, let alone every other, you know, for, uh, system there, or every other city there is out there. Uh, and then getting the call, I was reminiscing about this the other day, but getting the call from the producer, hey, we'd like you to come and film. Holy shit. <laughs> that, that was, that was uh, super great. Now, then the reality hits, I could get obliterated on there. My reputation could be totally just killed. Uh, you know, they could hate the idea. And uh, now the whole franchise system, if, if, you know, I could probably sweep it under the rug, people forget about it, not promote it at all kind of thing. But eventually people will look it up and see the dragons totally say, John, this is a horrible idea. And, uh, you know, and you suck. <laughs> that kind of thing. You know, if I said something wrong, because it is a television show, and they are trying to generate drama and that's kind of like, you know, you're kind of throwing yourselves uh, to the wolves for that. But uh, I felt fairly confident that I, that I had strong numbers on my side. That was the, the number one thing that, uh, you know, the concept was interesting and unique. And uh, yeah, so 
you know, uh, went, flew to Toronto, uh, I think four days in advance, just hold myself up uh, in a hotel room for several days, just rehearsing, 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 rehearsing. And I uh, woke up early that morning, I uh, hit the gym, went out, uh, had a nice breakfast. And, uh, you know, we were told at the time that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you're going to be first thing in the morning uh, for, for filming. I was like, fantastic. I'm I'm top dog. My, I'm my best self first thing in the morning. Oh, guess what? You're going to go towards the end of the day. And that's when I'm like super, you know, after lunch, super sluggish mm. and tired. And, and uh, uh, Nigel, one of our uh, franchise owners who's with us, said, uh, hey, uh, like, oh, guess what? This Before they moved it, oh, uh, judges give harsher sentences after lunch. So we're good. And then about a minute later, Hey, you're gonna go on in the in the after, late afternoon. We're like, oh no. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyways, uh, just got ready, waited through the day. I was there from 7 a.m. until 4:30 p.m. Just waiting to film. Uh, got the call. Walked up. Walked uh, up onto that platform. Walked down the steps, and there they are. And uh, you know, just adrenaline took over, and I, 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 you know, I wasn't. I was just on pure reflexes at the mm-hmm. time. Mm. And, uh, you know, because you're just getting pounded, pounded, pounded with every sort of uh, just trying to poke holes in your business. And, for, and I was in there for an hour and a half. And yeah, and just got pounded, pounded, pounded. I got into fights with a couple of them. They didn't show it on TV, but, you know, they're trying to make a good television show, which is a big thing. Mm. And uh, yeah, and then eventually I left and was in total shock after, you know, shaking uh, Mandy's hand. And, uh, you know, I had to have, uh, I had a lot of the franchise owners actually come to Toronto to celebrate with us after filming. And uh, I had to have them repeat to me uh, multiple times what had just happened because (laughs) I was just on total, just, uh, just cloud nine plus, you know, uh, I was fight or flight the whole time. You could see me sweating in there for sure. Uh, because they really grilled us, and um, <laughs> we, we we definitely earned that uh, that that good edit that deal, uh, and I think that that's uh, yeah that 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 was the whole experience, and of course now just now now just uh, uh, you know uh, as a successful Dragons Den alumni, it's a great credibility booster for the brand. Uh, you know, if we got past that, mm. if we got past the uh, the audition process to just getting grilled for you know over an hour. To getting uh, to getting a deal to getting an update last month, which was a tremendous honor, and uh, and, and yeah, just kind of going from there. That that is uh, to me a real successful uh, Dragon's Den story. So yeah, really really proud of it. Wow, that's fantastic story there. Thanks for uh, uh, thanks for, for sharing that. I felt like I'm almost in that room with you as you were telling the story. Uh, question for you is, you know, if an entrepreneur is thinking, you know what, I want to do something like that, maybe not a Dragon's Den level, but they want to have some sort of investor in their business, what should their business have a minimum requirement or what should you have before you're ready to make that next step to have an investor invest in your business? Well, great question. Great question. I'll give you the advice that Manjeet gave me uh, in our in our meetings we have, and that's hold off as long as you possibly can before you get an investor. Uh, you know, Dragons Den does bring up the idea that uh, you know, oh, uh, getting an investor—that's how business is done. It's not. You you put up you, you you start off small. You bet little bits of money. Some money comes back. You bet that money back into the business. A little money comes back. You bet it back, and it just kind of grows. That's how Everline's grown. 
You know, like you're, we're not sitting counting our pennies here right now. We're putting that into international expansion. Like that's the, that's that's the play. So, however, if investment is absolutely necessary, number one, you're going to need a track record. Uh, investors are going to take you for a ride. Like if you don't have a proven system, if you don't have proven financials, if you don't have any sort of a trend that whatever you're presenting to them is has actual traction within the market, uh, it happens all the time on Dragon's Den. How, what are your sales? Right. And, and, uh, and say you have the world's greatest idea and you don't want to risk your own money to be able to put it out there, then you're going, then some other private equity investor or private investor, an angel investor, or whatever is going to take you for a ride. You're going to take a much larger investment to your business. So, uh, so yeah, that's my wariness on there is like, don't get an investor, just don't, unless, yeah. like, unless you absolutely have to. And, uh, and, and, and if you do have to, you have to uh, have your financials ready, a proven track record. You have to be realistic with your expectations for how the business is going to operate, you know, in a market. Uh, you know, there, I was involved in an investment presentation uh, where somebody wanted some of my money uh, this year and they just they gave me a uh, you know, kind of like a cash flow forecast. That was totally Looney Tunes, totally Looney Tunes as to what it was actually going to be. And we started digging into real numbers and it was, it was half of what they were telling us that it was going to be. And like that, I, I was out on that. So like that, that's, uh, that, that's the kind of ideas that you have to be realistic. Get mentors to look at your plan. Uh, that's, that's the next thing. If you're going to go down that road, get, before you go and put it out on the line in front of an investor, get outside uh, in, like influence. So whether it be myself or yourself, and like reach out to me or whatever, if you're thinking about whoever's watching here, uh, happy to look at that sort of stuff. It's something that uh, uh, is required because uh, if you just go and just get schooled right off the bat, it's going to be very demoralizing or you might agree to a deal that might not be a good deal. Sure, sure. Very, very, uh, very good points. I think uh, I heard someone recently say, if you go to an investor for money, uh, you will get uh, advice. And if you go to investors for advice, you will probably get money because mm -hmm. your idea is very good. I thought that was very, very neat. But I want, I want to make a little bit of a different uh, pivot here to uh, you know, the role of soft skills. From everything you've been telling me here, it sounds to me like even throughout your theme from college pro to now, you know, of course, the technical skills are very important, but it sounds like the real reason for your success is those softer skills, building trust and relationship with clients, stakeholders, your franchise mm -hmm. owners, and the communication piece, being able to transfer how great and how excited you are about your idea to everybody you're trying to sell to. What would you say is the role of soft skills or emotional intelligence, if you will, to really being successful as an entrepreneur or in your career generally? Uh, I, I think they're uh, soft skills being a, I think a, a, a different term. I, I would relate it more to values first because that translates into soft skills kind of naturally. Uh, so a common mistake that I see with a lot of entrepreneurs is that you know they think they gotta be the Kevin O'Leary sharks out there that they gotta you know try and you know they'll uh, they'll mislead people or you know not uh, answer something straight or lie uh, in order to get the upper hand in an experience and uh, or in in, a, in a, any sort of business deal whatsoever. Now I in my experience having a uh, just a solid track record of integrity. Of honesty, of uh, you know, of open communication, 
of being able to just be uh, transparent and to share what's going on with it to, to be vulnerable. Uh, you know, I find that when you when you open up yourself in that way, you're now inviting others who feel like that or who do operate like that. Now you're in a world of other high performing entrepreneurs who also have those soft skills. And whether you're partners or it's a vendor or supplier situation, or if it's, uh, you know, you, you guys are two separate entities trading ideas off of each other. The law of attraction will bring you guys together and you're going to have a far better team right off the bat. Now, the guys that are kind of like the used car salesman, like, oh, I'm just going to try and get this, this crazy deal here. And it's kind of done in an in a ill intent or malicious way that uh, those guys have a cap as to how big they can get. Uh, yeah. Because the all if you look at any of the autobiographies of any of the greats, uh, the very few guys uh, are, are that weren't, uh, I guess, uh, you know, honest and integrity, strong on integrity and, uh, and transparent, you know, very few of them that weren't like that uh, actually get anywhere big. So, you know, even uh, we could argue Donald Trump's one of those guys, right? He lied and cheated his way to where he's at. Uh, he's a small billionaire, you know, right? Like he's, he's, he's a billionaire, but he's a really small one compared to some of the other larger, bigger, better guys that are truly wholesome, good people that are out for other people to grow and uh and look out for there so uh i'm a humanist i look out for humanity uh sometimes that does mean that i make decisions that might not mean the best immediate business decision back to me but what that will turn into though is greater opportunity when they go out there and they're a little better they're going to look it back at myself in in a positive way mm. now if i'm ever you know it's, it's kind of the idea sometimes i get bitten by that too somebody will take advantage of, of me mm. and you know what when, when that's there, you know, they'll never have any of my resources or my, or my network uh, available to that. Mm -hmm. So that, that's kind of where they're capped. They're never gonna, they're never gonna get access to that and mm -hmm. it's growing every day. Absolutely, thanks for that. I really like how you position it as, as values. I think that's really, really important. And when I think or just listen to you, some of the themes I'm finding, I, I, I see three th themes. Uh, number one, I see a little bit of self-awareness to really understand what is important to you and who you are and how you want you know, to play yourself or present yourself to the world, if you will. Second thing I'm seeing is regulation. So even though you, you, know, you know who you are, it's sometimes difficult to still make those choices and you, know, you have to regulate yourself. The third thing I'm hearing is a little bit of empathy, putting yourself in the shoes of the other person and making sure that your actions are aligned and you know, it's reflecting who you are. How would you say you've grown all the skills? How have you grown your awareness? How have you grown your regulation to control yourself when things are not going your way and to put yourself in other people's shoes how, how would someone grow those skills well that that's where i go to i guess it would fall back to emotional intelligence uh you know and i think a real big part of that is it is the empathy that 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 i feel uh and that to me in my opinion was something instilled into me by my mother growing up uh you know just for me to understand my feelings and why i feel that way uh, you know, sometimes it takes, you know, I'm a guy, sometimes it takes you longer to, to process and you kind of just have to work through with whatever you're dealing. Uh, but it's just like, you know, you know, for my daughter and, uh, you know, it's just like, you know, it's okay to be upset. Why are you upset? Right. And then, you know, just kind of go through there and, and the same thing my, my mother did for me, uh, uh, kind of led me down that road to be able to understand, feel, feel empathy for others. Uh, and, 
you know, in uh, it, it, it shoots me in the foot in a negotiation setting or something like that. So don't put me in a negotiation because I just I'm like, oh, that's a good point. I agree with you, right? And I know. <laughs> right? So get, pull, take me out, coach, that kind of thing. But if this was, uh, you know, if this is a situation where you're partnering with somebody, such as with all my individual franchisees, uh, they're all my, they're all my partners. And it's, I, I have to empathize with their situation uh, and not just be a top-down dictator. It's a two-way street. Uh, you know, I, I, I maintain the brand and uh, in order for the brand to be strong, I need the individual franchise owners to be strong. And with that, I empathize with any challenges they're going through and work through it instead of, wow, that sucks, too bad, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah. So thanks, mom. She did that. <laughs> That's awesome. I want to make a little bit of a change. When we were uh, preparing for this chat, I was asking some of the things that was kind of on your mind and you were passionate about. And we're talking about technologies of the future. We talked about artificial intelligence. We talked about automation. And we talked about you know, early adopters and how you know this is sort of the new plastic of our generation. Can you just expand your, your thought process on, on that and share some of your insight on those? Sure. Well, I, I think we're... Uh, where it all starts is that if you're not a data-driven decision-making based company, when it comes to technology, there's different stages. So number one, data-driven decision-making, I think is probably the base level of where the bottom, the med medium to bottom rung companies are going to be like within five years. So there's all sorts of software that's out there now that just puts very important information in front of you. And it's up to you to analyze it and, and do that. The, the idea is that it's in front of you and that you're aware of it and you can uh. see that. Now, uh, Everline, we're uh, getting there. The next step of that is, is automation, I think. Uh, you know, really finding more hours in the day for software to be able to do menial tasks for you. Or there's virtual assistants across the world that can do those things for you that, that really take a, a wide uh, set of, of just kind of menial tasks that you don't have to do that slow you down, slow down your work process. There, there are software out there that allow you to, to do that. And just being aware that you can cut out 30, 40% of a workflow just from spending a bit of time to set up some automations makes a significant difference. Uh, for example, with our franchise leads that we get, uh, now, uh, you know, it used to be, you know, the old sales guy and me, anytime a lead would come in, immediately call, text this person or whatever, that they, they were happening so much that I couldn't do that anymore. So I had to automate. What would I write them? Automatic text to them and, and an email that basically is like, here's my calendar, set it up or whatever. That like took out a huge chunk of my time. Now I can focus on other things. Mm. Next, we got AI. So I think AI... Uh, it's we're not uh, too far away from it having a real mainstream effect in everyday business and what a ai has seemed like it's such a buzzword uh and people don't realize that ai doesn't have to be complicated a ai is just looking at the data in front of you making the best decision it can off of learned behaviors and again that's kind of like it's kind of like super automation if there's ever a fork in the road where there ever is a decision to be made that you can actually state it for to to follow that decision, whatever that looks like. So I think um, you know, to for you to, for the individual entrepreneurs who are starting their businesses now, I think have this information all in mind because it's far easier to just start with it, and these are part of your processes right off the bat, versus getting to a certain size, then reverting 
back and then changing every all the procedures in your company. That's that's way harder and slower. And just start now. Start thinking, data driven decision making, AI, and, and automation. And I think that that's going to be the uh, the key to success for any company. It's going to be like if you don't have it, like you, you suck. Mm-hmm. Like you're you're not going to be able to compete without it. Absolutely. I think those are very, very important points uh, you, you've made, especially automation and you know, automating some of those menial tasks that take so much of your time, but actually can be done automatically. Like the examples you gave, I, I think that's really, really key. Um, is there any sort of resource or perhaps books or maybe podcast or any sort of resources, someone who is interested in learning more about this, any way you can recommend? Uh, where I really learned uh, uh, is uh, there was a Harvard Business Review just kind of summary of AI and automation. It's a quick read. It gives you everything you need to know, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, allows you to dive into the blockchain and and uh, and, and its relation to AI or whatnot. A quick read, nothing crazy. Uh, yeah, so it's a uh, yeah Harvard Business Review AI and then think automation for sure. Know, some individual books. Perfect. Uh, and also just generally across the board, uh, someone like yourself, I'm sure you're a big reader, just absorbing information. Any favorite book right now or recommendations for books? Uh, I'm uh, I'm more of an audiobook person. I definitely have that uh, ADHD. I got to listen mm-hmm. uh, to everything. Uh, I'm right now just going through the story of Amazon right now. Uh, I think it's called the Everything Store on, on Audible there. Uh, really strong. Uh, I get it's, it's been interesting to hear, like you know, the fanatical demand from Jeff Bezos for the customer experience, like fanatical, down to like not only for when they first started, and you know, just making it so easy for them to get whatever book they wanted, no matter what, down to inv- developing the Kindle. It has to be like two buttons, or down to you know, I want people to be able to buy a book. You know, from their from the uh, uh, airport parking lot without having to connect to any sort of internet whatsoever. Hmm. Like you know, building things like that. So I found that to be like just that fanatical drive to the vision to be a very interesting uh, idea. At least in my point is that what are the key things that this comp- that Everline needs to accomplish? And I, perhaps I need to look at things a little more fanatically and demand more in order for us to make those gains hmm. in, in those areas. Fantastic book. I have not read that book, but I, you know, I've heard uh, the Amazon story and how particular Jeff Bezos is. A lot to learn from him. Uh, now we're in a pandemic, and of course, one of the uh, the key things happening is the fact that uh, uh, everyone is working from home, and this has affected productivity crazily. Like a lot mm-hmm. of people have lost that drive, that uh, motivation. How have you kept your own productivity up, and what would be your advice or recommendation to someone struggling to keep their motivation up? Uh, uh, I'm, I'm personally, uh, I've been utilizing, you know, just, just a personal tool that I developed, uh, that allows me to kind of keep track about any of my ongoing projects, due dates related to them. And, uh, you know, I have a set amount of stuff I got to get through in a week on top of the day to day. And as soon as I start falling behind in that, or if you're just like, well, you know what, I just, I'm, I'm not going to deal with this anymore. Uh, then frankly, guess who's coming in on the weekend? You know, I don't want to have to come in the weekend, but I have to, I did it to myself. Mm. So that's, it's uh, self accountability towards your own goals. Uh, you know, I find sharing my, my goals, uh, openly with virtually everybody, 
mm. you know, like saying, hey, guess what? This is happening. Oh, wow. Like that's, a, that's pretty big. Yeah, it is. And like now I'm kind of like, I, I'm, I'm the idiot if I don't go and do that. I'm the guy who hasn't got, who didn't do what he was supposed to do. And that mm. kind of tailors to the integrity. So, you know, I openly share to my team, to my wife, to, my, to our vendors and suppliers, hey, we're going to be massive. Uh, I'm telling you right now, so give me this lower price for this. And uh, if I kept saying that and we didn't consistently grow, I'm not going to be taken seriously. But they take me seriously because I, I execute. Mm. So almost like uh, putting the word out there on what you're going to do and almost having the public or everyone else or whoever it is uh, in your team forcing you and keeping you accountable to the goals you've set up for yourself. Yeah, I wouldn't do, like, I wouldn't put it out on Facebook or Twitter or anything like that. Uh, you know, I, I like to save kind of big, hard-hitting um, uh, kind of announcements for that. Mm. Uh, but what uh, I, you know, if, if you don't have employees, uh, then your your significant other, your, your mom, you know, like, like whatever, right? This is what's going to happen. And, uh, and I find... You know, I've had people say, oh, can you just keep me accountable? Like, you know, I have franchisees that have asked, like, oh, can we have more calls so that I can stay accountable? I say, like, you know, I give you a ton of support, but accountability to yourself is a skill set that you have to build, uh, that you have to develop yourself in order to find a true success. You can't rely on others to keep you uh, accountable to your own goals. And I'm not saying this, I'm not perfect whatsoever. Uh, but, um, you know, I'm better at it than I think I, 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 I do it. I do more, uh, I guess, accountability to my own individual goals than, you know, me just dropping project because I just can't get to it. That's right. If I'm dropping a project, it couldn't have been that important anyway. Mm. So at the end of the day, you're responsible for your own success, for your own performance. And if you're not taking ownership of it, I mean, at the end of the day, it's all up to you. If you're passing the buck, then you're not going to move, get very far. You got to be able to, to look at yourself uh, in a very uh, uh, objective way. Now, I don't, I, I have the benefit of having confidence and high self-esteem. Now, a lot of people don't. And I get that sometimes that might be hard. So that that is that is something that I think uh, might be kind of maybe the insensitive side of what I'm saying uh, as like, oh, well, I can't do that because I think I suck, mm. right? Uh, I I personally don't, I, I think really like, like developing that social support system that you need in order to get there and understand what you need to be able to do there instead of just wallowing in self-pity you know, uh, it, it's, it's like, you know what, do you want to do this or not? Do you want this or not? Yes or no? Okay. Yes. All right. We're going to go and what needs to happen for this to occur? This, this, and this, when are you going to complete that? Is it done for this date or not? All right. It's not done. Reschedule it. Like, is it done yet? No, 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 no. All right. Something's got to change because you're not getting results. Right. So like that's like that's the only way is that it's that muscle that uh, that you got to go and you know it's a, it's an interesting you know uh, uh, thing to to say when it, there's it's a great confidence builder when you are now consistently crossing things off your project list that you are now a doer 
Absolutely. I think uh, that's a very vital point you make there. Sometimes you just got to hustle and just you know, push and push until you get it done. I think that was a skill, particularly for myself, maybe for you, I really learned in my first business at College Pro where at the end of the day, you're responsible for your goals. And if you're not doing it, no matter how good the excuses are, uh, mm-hmm. it's up, up to you. But I think one thing that you know, we can leave with our listeners that has really helped me is really starting with why. So if you're mm-hmm. going to do something really asking yourself, why am I doing this? Am I mm-hmm. doing this because I want to look cool? Am I doing this because it's truly important to me? Am I doing this because I'm passionate about this? And I think that will also play a factor in getting that extra energy you need to finish it and get it done. A hundred percent. And to add to that, you know, I, I find uh, for me, what inspires you kind of connects to the why you're doing it. And, you know, for, for my why, uh, really what I come back to is uh, uh, JFK's we're going to the moon speech. You know, we're, we're going to the moon to test the limits of our abilities to do it, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Like that to me is like, if it's difficult, mm, I love it. Keep mm. it coming. And, uh, and if that, that is my personal, uh, you know, thing now, if it's for, you know, for the, whoever is like somebody is inspired by something else, you know, being able to build up a business where you are able to do, the three-day work week or whatever, if that's your uh, your idea, if you are working three days a week at that point, man, that's a huge success. You, mm-hmm. you did what you're going to go accomplish. So just figuring that out is, is, is a part of it. And you're right, it does start with yeah, absolutely. And no, no surprise that you, you've been very successful in your career so far. I have one last question for you. And this one is a, a prediction. So uh, we're in a pandemic, as I said earlier, which means that, you know, a lot of things are bound to change or evolve or, you know, some things will stop as a result of this pandemic over the next two, three years. Based on your insights, and I know we've talked a little bit about AI automation, but based on your general insight and experience, and there's no right or wrong answer about this, what, what in your opinion is going to change over the next couple of years as a result of this pandemic? Oh, um, it, it's, it's a moving target because uh, I think a lot, there, there's a lot of different branches of what everything can turn into depending on how these next six months go, uh, frankly. Uh, I think that um, while people are living with the idea that we're all separated and that you can work from home, or whatnot, I think that, you know, the, the great sigh of relief of everyone getting back together uh, is going to be euphoric. And I think that that is going to generate, um, you know, a very interesting period of economic growth. Now, the way I look at it is 100 years ago, the Spanish flu of 1918, you know, it's very, it's different in many ways, but uh, in the 1920s versus the 20s, but we also, there was a pandemic then, it's, it's come out. Now there's, there was an innovation of, uh, you know, furthering along the industrial process, the, you know, things like that all through uh, the early 1920s. Now we have the key innovation of automation, AI, and uh, data-driven decision-making. So now we're more efficient and we're more or less euphoric that we're able to go out for a beer with friends again, that we're able to go to conferences again. Like it felt like forever ago, you're so excited. Now you're super motivated. You're you're like rested in a way because now you're not stressed in such a way. So I think, and I, and I say this to, to my guys, not only is this going to be Everline's golden age in the next 10 years, it's actually going to be uh, humanity's golden age. So I, I'm optimistic there. 
Fascinating. It's been a pleasure having you on the show, John. So much insight and wisdom shared. Uh, I feel uh, very refreshed talking to you. So thank you for your time. Hey, Nate, thanks so much for having me.